Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Good morning. It is Monday, April 25th, and this is Blake Wilson, Lifeline's Vice President of Operations. And I'm excited to be here um, with you guys this morning as we jump into um, chapter 10 of Image Bearers. And today specifically, we're going to be looking at the topic of slavery, trafficking, and pornography, and really how this impacts the population that we serve. As a as a ministry, our heart is to serve those um, who are most vulnerable, you know, and, and to be able to step into life with them. But these are the ones and these are the children and the families that are really at risk of much of what we're talking about with um, slavery and being trafficked and falling into pornography. Um, so, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter four, um, verses seventeen through thirty-two, and then specifically jumping over to John chapter eight is where we're going to land today, looking at the story there of a woman caught in adultery and really focusing in on Jesus's interaction with her. So if you have your Bibles, open those up to Ephesians chapter four. And this is really Paul's guidance on instructions for Christian living. Um, he really just lays it out very clearly here to the church on what it means to follow Christ and really those guidelines of Christian living and what that truly means. Because he wants to paint this picture of being a new creation in Jesus Christ and being able to view um, yourself and those around you as an image bearer of of Jesus, you know. And as as I look at my my family and my daughter specifically, who are now growing, um, and, and seeing them um, begin to grow into women and um, have feelings for boys, and trying to figure out what this means for me as a dad to see my little girls growing up and. Um, show interest in the opposite sex and to want to be in relationships with, with other, with boys and, um, you know, trying to navigate how I want my daughters to see their identity and for them to not find their hope or their self-worth in, um, a boy, but to help them find their self-worth and their, their identity in who Jesus has called them to be. Um, you know, is a is a learning is a learning curve for me as I see them turning into to young ladies of 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 image bearers and and being looked upon that way and and wanting and desiring you know whoever they are in a relationship to hold them with dignity um, to view them as an image bearer of Jesus Christ and this is what Paul is really saying here in Ephesians chapter four is. To, to know that you are a new creation, that the, that it is the sin that separates us from, from God and encouraging the, the church to stay on point and to run hard and fast after who Jesus is, but to view those that they interact with as an image bearer of Christ. So let's read this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, So I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. 
and they are full of greed. You know, he's, he's saying you have to separate yourselves. You have to stand apart. Don't give yourself over in ignorance um, and follow those sensual desires to indulge in impure acts. Guys, our sin is what separates us from God. And, and ultimately, that sin um, can fuel the very thing that we're trying to prevent as as lifeline um, to protect and advocate for these young young children who are at risk of being trafficked, who are at risk of falling um, falling into the hands of of the wrong people um, to be a product of pornography, to fall into slavery. And the Bible over and over again warns us. Uh, and Paul specifically, really, in the New Testament says a lot of how this and how sin can be a master over you. It can it can hold you bondage and captive. And a couple short verses that I'm going to read, it, it says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. It says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I will not be mastered by anything. You know, you have the right to do a lot of things. But ultimately, those things that you choose can end up mastering you as um, as a believer or not as a believer. That sin can fall fall over you and encapsulate you and trap you and master you. Um, Peter says this in, in Second Peter. Um, they promise you freedom while the, they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. You know, our world is mastered by sexuality, mastered by pornography. If you haven't had a chance to read through chapter 10 of Image Bears, um, Herbie does a great job of pulling out some stats in this book that um, are just mind boggling. And, and the number of people that fall into the trap of pornography, those who don't see a problem with it um, from the age that they're exposed to pornography to how it truly masters people um, into um, this trap. You know, and it, what we have to realize is that pornography is addictive, but it's also destructive. You know, Proverbs 25 says this, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. You can't fall into this, this trap and be mastered by sin and help be held captive by sin because this is what the enemy wants. He wants to kill, steal and destroy us and to let us fall into this trap to where we cannot become who Christ has called us to be. And this is what Paul says, again, as he picks up in Ephesians chapter 4, and specifically in verse 20. He says, "This is don't be like the Gentiles who have fallen into this, that however, in verse 20, is not the way you have learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught with him in accordance to the truth about Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Because we are created to be a new being. When we find Christ, we're to put off that old self and understand that we are a new creation in Him and to not fall in that trap we are to flee from sexual immorality because we have to view our bodies as the temple of God. We can't underestimate the power of the enemy that he is after us. 
but we have to flee from this sexual immorality that can just be so engulfing and view our bodies as a temple of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do not do you not know that the bodies are your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? It's just a, it's such a huge thought to wrap your mind around. Do you not know that your body, your physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Of all, um, of all reminders we need, we are purchased with a price. Honor God with your bodies. Honor God with our bodies. We are a new creation in him, and we are to speak truth and live a life worthy of being called a believer and to not fall in the trap of sin. Guys, sin is so serious. Matthew chapter 5 says this about adultery. It says, um, you have you have heard um, that it is said, you shall not commit, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if anyone looks upon a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery in um, with her in her in her heart or in his heart. Listen to the seriousness of sin here in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Guys, this example of your hands and your eyes is so important to grasp. The seriousness of sin, guys. The Lord has called us to a higher standard. The Lord has called us to keep our eyes on him and to not fall in this trap and to to fall into sexual to sexual sin. And we have to understand that we are we are not um, looking upon others the way that he has created us to. We are we are not viewing others as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. And I love John chapter eight because Jesus does this as such a, a great example as he interacts with a woman who was caught in adultery. And this is what John chapter 8 really gives you this picture of um, of this woman who has been caught in a sin. And I, I want us to stop and think just for a minute, even before we read this, you know, about your sin being exposed. You know, each, each one of us have different um, facets of our life that are probably hidden things that you haven't confessed or things that may not have um, come to light. And think for a moment, like what, what would happen if you were brought before a group of people and your sin was exposed and it was just told to every, everybody? This is what has happened to this woman. You know, and I think we all have the silly little examples about, you know, being caught with your hand in the cookie jar as a kid or, you know, um, we've all seen the the funny, funny videos of a child with a chocolate-covered mouth and saying, did you eat chocolate? And them nodding their head, no, I, I haven't eaten any chocolate. And the evidence is all over you, right? But I want you to think about this as we read John chapter 8 of this woman um, who had been caught in the act of adultery. And this is what it says. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So I'm sure her head was hanging low. I'm sure she was absolutely humiliated. 
But this is what it says in the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? As they're talking to Jesus, they were using this as a question and a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But look at Jesus's response. This is mind blowing to me. He bent down. So keep in mind, this woman is standing up who has just been accused of this sin. Jesus bends down. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Then they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Guys, it's so easy to hurl accusations at people. It's so easy to, um, you know, to throw, throw stones and to accuse others without looking introspectively at our own sins and the things that we struggle with. But I love the word picture here of Jesus bending down below this woman who has been caught at caught in the act of adultery in, in her defense. And he, he says that in verse eight, um, he stooped back down again and he wrote on the ground more. Now, we don't know what he's saying. Of course, there's a lot of speculation about what he was writing on the ground. Was it the, the sins of the people around him? Was it the Ten Commandments? Who knows? We don't know what it was. But he says that this those who heard began to go away one at a time. So whatever he was writing forced them to leave. The oldest ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So you look at verse number what two, and you see this woman standing there. Or verse number three, this woman caught in adultery was standing there before the group. And here you are now in verse nine. She's still standing there. Can you think about the agony and just horror that was going through her? Um, thinking about her sin being exposed and knowing her life was truly on the line. She could have been killed and stoned in that moment. And only Jesus and the woman was still standing there. He never left her. He was there with her in, in her sin. And this is what he said. He straightened up. So he was on the ground. He straightened up again. And he asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. He stood up. He looked at her eye to eye. He said, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. And then he said, go now and leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. Because the Lord has called us um, to leave our life of sin. And he has stooped down. He has fallen low. As creator of the universe, he, he made himself less than to die upon a cross, to take on, take on our sins, um, to become a man who could feel pain and walk upon this earth um, to forgive us. And he's commanded us, just as he has commanded this woman, to go now and leave our life of sin to follow him. Because the Lord has called us to interact with with people um, that are different from us, people that um, are maybe viewed as as less than, people that are from different walks of life, people that um, may, may come from a different background. So let us remember what the Lord has called us to do as believers in Him. There's another beautiful picture of this in um, John chapter 4 as Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman. And in this passage in John 4, 
we see um, this interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well and how uncommon it was for a Jew to interact with a Samaritan, specifically a male Jew interacting with a female Samaritan. And she was so caught off guard in this passage in John chapter four. But you see Jesus interacting with her um, as something that is uh, that he's representing of serving and sharing the hope of the gospel with what is the least of these and the Samaritan woman who comes to the well during the middle of the day and Jesus striking up a conversation and just asking for a simple drink. In verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, are you not a Jew? I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he begins just to have this conversation with her about what it looks like to find stability and hope and, and eternal life through the living water that can only come from him. Sir, the woman said in verse 11, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than your father Jacob or who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman about eternal life and about eternal water and living water that will come through him. Um, you know, I, I just think that you see this interaction as yet another example of Jesus engaging and doing life and ministering to uh, those who were outcast. And I just, I want it to be reminded of um, what we're called to do in this life that we have on earth is to make the most of every moment of every opportunity to engage with those who are different from us. This woman that was caught in the act of adultery in John 8, this woman in John chapter 4 who was um, of a different ethnicity and um, social status, he, he got on their level and he interacted with them um, so that he could share his life, the living water, with them. So I want to challenge us this week to take this as an example of how do we engage, how do we interact with those who are different from us. As you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to a gas station, as whatever it may be, whatever you, however you're going in and out of stores and doing your day-to-day -day life and interactions with others, let's be intentional in striking up conversations with others so that in this present world, we can share the eternal hope with those that we interact with. Today, as we close our time, we're going to spend some time in prayer, praying specifically this week for the country of Haiti um, and just for the government there, for our partners on the ground there, um, as well as uh, just for the government. And just this is a country of unrest, as we've seen over and over again. And we just want to continue to pray that the Lord will bring um, this country peace and that he will protect those children that are in that country there as we um, strive to to find stability and serve them. So let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word and for who you are. Um, we're thankful for another another morning and, and a morning that um, we can come together 
and dive into your word and look at your example of your life, physical life on this earth. God, I just pray. Um, I pray for wisdom. I pray for opportunities for our ministry as we interact with those in our backyards and those on the other side of the world. God, I pray for um, our in-country team there in Haiti. I pray that you just give them strength and equip them with the tools that they need just to serve the vulnerable children around their country. God, I pray for their safety in a country that is just so unstable, a country that is just torn by war and assassination and natural disaster. God, protect um, our team, protect these children that we are serving. Um, And Lord, may we see um, more and more believers rise up. I pray for the, the church in Haiti. May the church in Haiti grow and be um, multiplied as as they um, spread your hope. And God, the passage of scripture doesn't even it, it gets more and more evident um, as we as we look into this country of Haiti and those who are suffering and those who are searching. So God, I pray for stability and for um, the vulnerable in the country of Haiti. I pray for Haiti's government. Um, as they try to manage that different aspects of adoption and care for the orphans around the world um, in their country. God, may you may you bring stability to this country, to this government, and to this adoption process as we have so many families in this process who are waiting. God, be with the families. Give them peace and patience as they wait. Protect those children that they are pursuing in country. And God, may we continue to see children come home um, to their families where they can learn about who you are. So God, I'm, I'm grateful for a ministry who has the opportunity to serve in so many countries, but specifically this week, we just pray and ask that you will be with the country of Haiti as we minister there, there together. And these things we bring before you. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.